So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media? Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Hello and welcome to Beyond the Words, a podcast that talks about writing, publishing and promoting your future best-selling novel. I'm Holly Hunt, author of The Holiday Killer and your host for this series. Welcome to Chapter 2, Episode 17, Planning for a Sequel. A sequel is one of those things that may hit you out of nowhere. You reach your final battle and your character suddenly drops a bit of info you've never heard before. Luke, I am your father, anyone? Now, you realise that your book is a lot bigger than you first thought. You've slogged your way through 15, 20, 50, 200,000 words, only to find out the story has more to tell. What the? So what do you do? You have two paths that may lead you here. I've worked both, on the same story no less. So I can tell you right now, there's more to planning a sequel than realising you have further to go in the story. After all, if you have further to go, you could just keep writing. Think back across your story. Are there places you could slip in a few hints? Where you can see a small detail suddenly become very clear? That prompt for a sequel planning wasn't coming from as far out of left field as you thought, hey? If you can't think of anything, put the book aside for a week or so, then come back to it. Do you see places now? A conversation with the parent's old friend suddenly alludes to more than just high school pranks. The villain's actions are suddenly hiding far more nefarious plots underneath. These are the most subtle forms of foreshadowing, utilised by authors such as J.K. Rowling, C.S. Lewis and Philip Pullman. When reading back over these authors' books, it becomes easy to see that they had been setting up the battle in the last book from the time you cracked open the first. Voldemort's destruction at the hands of Lily Potter mirrors the same at the hands of Harry. The end of Narnia at the end of the last battle echoes its creation in The Magician's Nephew. The Daemons and their role in the wider universe of the His Dark Materials trilogy becomes far more transparent as you go through. These are subtle foreshadowings of sequels, but what of the less subtle, more hit-you-over-the-head-with-a-brick kind? That doesn't so much as hint at sequels and things undone as drop them in your lap and expect you to keep up. J.R.R. Tolkien Mervyn Peake's Gormenghast trilogy, K.A. Applegate's Animorph books, Game of Thrones, Sherlock Holmes, Herodotus Histories, The Iliad. These works don't set up sequels. They're one story broken into many different pieces that, while each completing a three-act story such as those we've covered up to today, combine together to create a single story structure that develops a character's arc in a longer form than that of their individual pieces. Think about it. By the time Frodo and Sam break away at the end of The Fellowship of the Ring, they've completed their own three-act story arc of that book, but they've only just begun their journey. You know they have. The end goal from the first page has been dangling in front of them, in the distance uh, around Frodo's neck, the whole time. The story's not over yet. By the time The Two Towers finishes, Sam and Frodo have separated, and they're almost there, just over the hill to Mordor. 
but they're not there yet. No, they've completed the second act. They've been tested and found unfit. They've trained, and they're about to strike back with all their worth. They complete another three-act structure in the two towers, but they're still not at the return home of the overarching plot, are they? No, there must be more. So, by the time the return of the king declines into its happily ever after, you have the great final battle of both the single book and the trilogy. They've reached the mountain, they've destroyed the ring, the army is defeated, and all Frodo really wants is to go home. As you can see, the plot of A Brick to the Face obvious sequel is one of the more easy to view things, and seen from the start of the series to the finish. In the more subtler forms, such as Harry Potter, the true reason for all of it, for the whole series, is not really given to the reader until the end of book 5, and the revelation of the details of exactly what is happening in the world around them to cause the plot to take shape is revealed as you read, most of it not until the end of the last book. It's not so simple as, takes ring, travels, destroys ring. No, you don't have a true and clear destination in mind, not even after book 6 is closed and you pick up book 7. Sure, there's an idea, defeat Voldemort. Sure, there's an idea, defeat Voldemort, but there is no how, where, when, why. You drop the one ring into the volcano of Mordor, Sauron is destroyed, let's travel to the mountain and get kicking ass. You don't get that in the subtler form. You really have to work to find your long plot. And so, after all that explanation, how does this relate to your book? The two forms of series and sequels, obscure and subtle versus blatantly obvious, has different hallmarks. Has your character's quest ended, or is it only beginning? And was it obvious from the very beginning that this quest would take a long time to complete? Or is it a case of things popping up as you go, building the bigger picture for your readers in hindsight, until it suddenly becomes together in the final book? The choice is up to you, your writing style, and most importantly, your plot. Don't be afraid to go down either path, but be aware that, were you to attempt mixing those two forms, you'll end up with a Twilight Saga. Something that worked perfectly well as a trilogy, thank you very much, but you just had to tack on another book that doesn't fit well in the overarching storyline. And now to introduce someone who knows a lot about planning for a sequel, Miss Catherine Berryman. How are you, Catherine? It has been. Tell me about your books. Right, Erin Land is a book about, there's three main characters really. Uh, there's Amy, who's a young girl around about 15 or 16, and she's a mad gamer. She's obsessed with a virtual reality game called Erinland. And then there's a boy whose name's Richard, and he is around about 16 as well, 16, 17. And he has a very bad home life, and he ends up, a, a series of events find him ending up living on the streets. And then there's another character who's in the ancient Ireland, um, Irish part of, who's in Erinland actually. The actual Erinland is 9th century Ireland, and he's a, his name is Aidan, and he's a monk. So there's these three main characters who are sort of linked together, and there's lots of mythology, there's lots of Irish mythology. And there's lots of Norse mythology interwoven into the story. Amy is drawn back because of her addiction to the, the game. She's eventually drawn back into 9th century Ireland and through the game. And then Richard is drawn back into 9th century uh, Norway. So he's on the Viking side of things. And he's drawn back and he's seen to be a reincarnation of a god. So there's lots of gods, there's lots of magic, there's lots of 
fighting, like because it's it's all about the colonisation of Ireland by the Vikings around that ninth century area. There's lots of history, and yes, basically that's it. And so they go on a journey to basically sort of find themselves but they're within the game but they're in ninth century Ireland. Am I right in assuming that because gods and myths and everything are are a part of this story that anything bad that can happen will happen? Yes, pretty much but also they are also have that power because there's lots of druids, there's lots of ancient Irish gods and goddesses and there's, you know, Odin and lots of Norse gods as well to help them and they they also find themselves that they may have special powers as well and they may even be deities in that time or seen as deities by those people within Erinland and within the ancient Norway. There's a lot of history there. I've sort of tried to interweave the Norse and Irish history and mythology and make a story from it. Yeah, there's a lot of history there. I've tried to draw on the history so that it's a little bit more plausible. In my mind, I thought, oh, you know, you've got a base there, so why not use it? So hopefully it's a good story. And I've also put in the back, I've put a glossary which has a lot of the names, the Irish names and the Norse names and how to pronounce them and a bit more background for people if they're interested in that sort of mythology that they can do a bit more further reading if they so desire. So there's a glossary in the back there of some of the words and names that I've used in the book. Now, today's topic is planning for a sequel. Is there a sequel for Erin Land? There is a sequel for Erin Land. I have started it. I haven't got too far, to be honest with you, but I have started it. Okay, so you've started writing it. How far back do you think you need to start foreshadowing for a sequel? Right, so this question, I thought about this question, and to be honest with you, in the beginning, I wasn't thinking of doing a sequel for Erin Land. I just thought, yeah, it might be a standalone nice little story. And then as I progressed, probably sounds a bit corny, but it kind of, the characters took on their own little persona, and and I just kept going and going, and I thought, look, you know, I probably could do a sequel, and um, I think Round about chapter 14 is where I've foreshadowed the sequel kind of thing. There's a, there's a there's part of it. Um, can I just read you something out of the book? Go for it. It said, Did you notice the chain and pendant slooped around the musical branch? Amy nodded silently. The triple spiral pendant is a gift from the ancient one, the symbol of life, death, and regeneration carved from the bone of an animal, your spirit animal. On this plane, you can summon your animal to you. It will be loyal to you and protect you. The musical branch is known to be a portal to other worlds, as is its replica. The replica pendant can be used on this or any other planes of existence. So in saying that, that is Tyg, who is the leader of the Irish army where Amy is camped. He is saying that to to Amy because she's realised that she is more than just a girl from the 21st century. She is actually looked upon by these people as something special. And I won't give too much away because I'm probably giving too much away anyway. <laughs> but so from here, he is saying that you can call on your spirit animal from this pendant and you can also use it as a portal to other worlds, to go to other worlds and also to come back. So it's on both levels. It's a literary device so she can actually come back and forth into the world. So I think there is actually where I've made that decision. Not consciously, I've just sort of thought, but it just kind of grew and as you go along it sort of has a bit of a life of its own and I didn't consciously plan it too much. I had a bit of a rough idea of how I was going to write it but then you just think, oh yeah, that sounds good. Oh yeah, that fits all right, you know, and it kind of goes like that. 
I think subconsciously this is where the foreshadowing happened. <laughs> does that make sense? It does. And don't worry about the corniness of characters took on a life of their own. The story just flew away from me. You'd be amazed how many authors I have talked to have said exactly the same thing. Mm. I think there's maybe one who hasn't, and that's because we didn't go near the topic of characters. Oh, right. <laughs> just sometimes you think, oh, that sounds a bit trite, you know? <laughs> You're talking to an author who spent nine months writing a book, went back and read it, and didn't remember three quarters of it. So don't worry about it. Oh, really? Wow. So how many books have you written? I have nine published. Wow. Mostly by small press, and I think I've put three up on Amazon. I've just done the one. <laughs> it's all right. Considering some of the standards are mine, yours is probably way higher. Don't worry about it. I will admit that a couple of them are just money-grabbing exercises. Mm. And did it work? It did, yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> well, that's good. You did what you wanted to do. Anyway, sorry. I'm rubbing on. <laughs> all good, all good. Second question for the night was how open should you leave a book for a sequel? Well, I think you should leave it fairly open because as the book evolves and you decide that you want to do a sequel, I think really it should be fairly open because otherwise if it's too too closed, it's too hard to go anywhere. We said if all the loose ends have been tied up, what's the point kind of thing? You have to go backwards and you, you sort of think, oh yeah, I have to do this and it has to be, you know, make sense. But if you leave it a little bit open, I don't think you should just leave it total on tenterhooks kind of thing. But as long as it, you know, you need a, something to hook people in and say, oh gosh, I just wanted more. So, what did she do that for? She must. There must be a sequel. So, the story continues in book two, the sequel to Erin Ant. I think it should be left open a little bit so that people actually want to read the next one. So your advice is to leave a couple of threads unwound? Yes, well that's what I've done and being an absolute novice at writing you know, it's just sort of an as you go kind of a thing but I will say that the next book is going to be a little bit different. There's going to be a lot more activity in the 21st century back in our time now and a lot more to do with the actual game and there will be some back in, in history 9th century island in uh, Norway but yeah it'll just be one of those things where I'll still be moving on and making it up as I go along really <laughs> or getting the inspiration you know so that's the best you can hope for where can we find you and or your book? I do have a website, so it's katherineberryman.com, so K-A-T-H-R-Y-N dot Berryman, B-E-R-R-Y-M-A-N, Catherine Berryman, no dot in the middle, sorry, katherineberryman.com, or else you can get me on my um, Facebook page, Catherine Berryman Erinland, and you can sort of have a look at there a few different posts and what have you, and if you wanted to have a look at the book, well, there's a little shop now thing there. Actually, the book's probably now at um, Gimmicks in Tuggeranong. That's down Canberra Way, isn't it? Yeah, they've, they've asked me for a book, so it should be down there or you could ask there. It was good talking to you, Kat. Thanks, it was really good. Today I'm going to be reviewing Erinland by Catherine Berryman. This book has a great storyline to work with. A young girl, raised by a strict, pain-in-the-ass, overreactive mother, finds herself transported into a game where she must fight against the Vikings while they invade Ireland. Ireland is a derivative of the old name. However, there are problems from the start. Did I mention the overreactive mother? Lost her mind and grounded her daughter for swearing when she lost her life in a game. I haven't been grounded for swearing since I was eight. This character is in her teens. 
The transport to the world of Erinland is undefined, ill-described, and quite confusing. Is she in the game? Or did she pass out and dream this? Is the old woman responsible? Is she real? I'm not really sure the story will ever explain this. Character development seems minimal at best. The characters don't change much through the course of the book, owing to a lack of connection between them and their surroundings. However, in spite of these issues, there's a great big swathe of ancient Irish history drawn into this book. I admire the dedication of the author in her research, however the issue of info dumping should be looked into in further editions. If you're looking for a good read for a younger audience, by all means give this a shot, they'll appreciate the history. This is the last of chapter 2, so stick around because next week we'll be starting chapter 3, Techniques. I'm Holly Hunt, host of Beyond the Words. Don't forget to keep on writing. Hi, I'm Matt. I'm Tommy. And I'm Roy. We're the TV Breakdown Podcast, and every week we get to tell you what's wrong with your favourite television show. But also what's absolutely right with it. You can check us out on iTunes, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, and Spreaker.